Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica, and we have a super great guest for you guys today, Mr. Ryan McMahon. Um, Ryan does a lot of shit. Uh, First of all, you are a professional funny person. Talk, yell, write, make media, digital media art. Yes. Um, But I think a lot of people would probably know you from the uh, Thunder Bay Podcast. Yeah. And you hosting that one. So, oh, I see I see the quote on your website right now. He's a native George Carlin. He understands the issues and he unpacks them and presents them in a way that has never been done before by a native com- comedian. Yeah. That, Welcome. Thanks. That's uh, my grandmother made me put that on my website. So <laughs> don't believe it. She's my biggest fan. <laughs> Shout out to granny. Shout out granny. <laughs> Shout out to Granny. <laughs> yeah. So I was telling, I was, I was saying to you before that, I mean, I was super excited to do this podcast with you because I've been following you for years. Okay. Um, I love your voice. I love the, um, the, the, I love when you break down, especially indigenous issues mm. and in a way that anybody can understand. And given that it is June, it is Aboriginal History Month, I believe. Well, they, yeah, or what is they, the actual name? I, that's a good question. I think uh, depending on what new PC term we come up with that doesn't offend all the people, it, it's yeah, it's like uh, Native people wearing fancy clothes month. Okay, <laughs> it's the I'm, every Native person with a guitar has a gig month. Or <laughs> it's the all you curious white folks come out to the powwow and watch us dance month. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those like it's one of those. We just have to get through it at this point. I know it's just starting. We're two days in, but we just yeah. have to get through it. <laughs> month. That's what we'll call it. A, we just have to get through it. Month. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so um so what are you doing now like what do you have on the horizon um yeah well, i'm working on lots of different projects going through a bit of a reset after thunder bay you know we made thunder bay and the best thing you can hope for when you make a podcast as you know is you make it and then you hope people find it and listen and um yeah we made thunder bay and luckily people found it and luckily people listened and um, it was an intense, you know, it was an intense rollout. And a couple of months thereafter were were also intense. So really, I just, I, I took, you know, a couple of months just kind of away. Um, I went to Banff for the month of March to teach at the um, Banff Center in the Indigenous Storytellers and Spoken Word Program. And while there, just started a couple of new projects. So I'm in the, you know, I'm in the beginning phases of a couple of new things, Um and uh yeah things things are things are good do you do you find you have more project opportunities after thunder bay uh well there's more of a specific kind of project but you know i've been independent for so long like you know um 
I would say in around 2005 when I, 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 you know, I fired my agent and my manager uh, in Toronto and I just kind of went out on my own um, to do my own shit. I, uh, that's, you know, just kind of been the way that I've always done things. And so I'm as busy as I, you know, choose to be. And, you know, part of it is the hustle of like trying to scrap together uh, some sort of living to make sure my kids stay alive. And then, and then some of it is more sort of, you know, high profile TV gigs and things like that. Um, but there's always a mix. I mean, I, you know, I'm an independent artist slash media person in Canada. I'm hustling to make a living just like anybody else. So, I, I mean, yeah. there's more meetings now. Uh, that that waste, waste your time, you know, with people. Oh, where, oh yeah. Yeah. So, do you want to adapt uh, Thunder Bay into a documentary series? Not really. Nope. No, I don't. Uh, next question. Wow, well, we we're thinking exactly. maybe we'd adopt it into a documentary series. Uh, did you hear me? I just said no to that question. Uh, next question. Yeah. So there's that, but I mean, you know, um, yeah, I, I try. I'm I'm more focused right now in my life trying to strike a a work life balance because for two years, Thunder Bay, uh, the project, you know, kept me so far out of balance that, uh, I'm really trying to come back down to earth and, and find that good balance and, you know, yeah. work more on my own personal health, my own personal mental health. And, and, um, I, I want to return to comedy. So I'm writing some funny stuff right now. I'm, I'm going to be remounting a, a new hour of comedy this fall. And I'm just really focused on, on uh, on getting back on stage and and returning to funny stuff because <laughs> there's so, so that's much sad stuff. <laughs> yes, especially after Thunder Bay, I would assume. Yeah. And um, so, how did you take care of yourself after that? Yeah, you know, I well, I wish I had an answer to that. I mean, really, I I have a good circle of friends and family. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty level-headed, grounded person anyway. And so, you know, I, I don't turn to, you know, drugs or alcohol or, or anything, uh, ridiculous like that, where, you know, if I were younger, I certainly would have. And I'm, I'm just lucky that I'm in a place now in my life where I'm well acquainted with racism in Canada. I'm well acquainted with, uh, with the words and the, and, and the, the knowledge needed to articulate, you know, all of these problems that we see in front of us today. And I, I didn't really find a need to, you know, to, to tuck away and, you know, take care of myself. I, it's heavy. Every day is heavy. You know, yeah. you, you know, you know, the weight of, yeah. of, yeah. of, of whiteness and racism and everything in this country. It's, it's something we live with and we deal with and, and we try to live the best lives we can. And, um, I'm certain that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm certain there's a better answer somewhere. You know, I went to the gym and I did yoga and, <laughs> and I went for long, quiet walks and meditated, but I would be lying to you if I said that. So I, I just, I just, try and, um, try to do meaningful work while people are listening. And you know what, if you can do meaningful work and derive a living from it without having to, sacrifice you I think I think that that is one of the definitions of winning like I really do um because not many people get to do that and I'm just like I'm thankful and um that you know people listen <laughs> you know like I really am
heart. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, th- this is this is really like the uh, the dream. You know, is that you make something and people respond to it and share it, and you start a little conversation and perhaps a a community around the work. And you know, if you're doing that in in Canada in 2019, um, you deserve some kudos and a tip of the hat. So. I'm I'm glad to be here because that's the work you and your team are doing and um you know it's it's all valuable it all adds it all adds you know to the to the greater good and I I heard an elder one time say you know when when there's something bad in the water um you know something poisonous or or, or a spill of some sort you know how do you clean the water and I was like I don't know you know there's got to be some sort of chemical or sawdust or like it you know you you skim the top and you she said no the the way you clean water is you put more water in the water oh what? whoa <laughs> dude you're like, blowing my mind right now okay <laughs> yeah but but that's kind of where i see uh, all of our work kind of coming coming into this community is like hey let's just keep putting good stuff out and the good stuff the good stuff will far outweigh the bad and if we keep doing that and we keep naming things and we we keep drawing hard lines in the sand um our communities will be better for it we'll be stronger because of it so and I love, that's kind of how i see everything we do i love that where i love the way you talked about it as a community because i do feel like a community is forming around these issues oh yeah and oh, yeah. so many voices are coming into the fray and and like into the more becoming more visible and like i that's why i retweet people and big them up and you know just like try to like say you know this is actually pretty good or this is pretty good or come here or this job's here or whatever because i feel yeah. like like our purpose is to serve that greater good it's not about yeah us per se absolutely and and you know i i'm i'm someone that i think you know really believes that um you know we come into each other's lives for a reason and and you know if it's if it's ever so brief or if we end up you know forging lifelong friendships out of the communities we build you know it's it's all for a reason. And right now, you know, whether it's, you know, the reconciliation discourse or, you know, the conversation around, you know, if Canada can decolonize and what that might mean, we're all, it's all hands on deck and everyone has something to add. So we're in a time, you know, um, to quote Drake, if I may. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, You know, um, I think it was on that, that collab album he did with Future, but that lyric, uh, what a time to be alive. Yes. And, uh, yes. Yeah. The one and with diamonds like, dancing. That, that's that, right. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> I love that album. Thank yeah. you for reminding me about that. But yeah, <laughs> what a time to be alive. I keep telling people this. I was telling people I'm actually an optimist and they're like, really? And I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, judging by your Twitter stream, uh, you never know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like. I don't think that pointing out what's wrong is 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 like I don't think it's ne- necessarily negative. I just think that people take it as though you are like I don't know how they take it, but it's not intended to be um 
I don't know. I, I guess what I'm trying to say. It's just not enough. Yeah. Like it's it's just not enough. Yeah. Because um, we, you know, especially in, in the native community, I, I would say in Indian country, we got really good at making the list of bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I grew up at a time um, where we got really good at making the list and then we got really well acquainted with that list. And and, and in some ways and, and sometimes we... we we sort of internalize that list, you know, we be, and we have to be very careful about the language we use and the words we use because um, we become the stories we tell ourselves. Yes. And, and, and if we're just kind of, if we're just beating that one drum and just talking about how bad things are, you start to believe that there is no future, that, that there's no space for you in this country, that the country doesn't give a shit about you. And while I feel that way a lot of the time, I don't want to hand that off to my kids. I don't want to. I don't want to hand that off to other people that are doing hard work around making things better. And I just, I, I put it this way: like, you know, if I, if if we're going to go to my camp um, and go to my cabin, um, would I invite you if you were that person that just every day woke up like you were, like we we went to bed the night before we we had a few drinks the fire was nice no mosquitoes everybody went to sleep happy and then the first thing out of your mouth in the morning when you woke up in the cabin was like fuck this shit man canada's blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> it's yeah. like okay well yeah good morning to you yeah how are you you doing okay so i just try to think of it that way like what are we what are we putting out versus what are we taking in? And I think we, we have to be more focused on taking in the good stuff and putting out putting out the good stuff as well. I think we have to really focus on creating the, the country and the community that, um, that we really dream of. And, and I don't think we've done that enough. Uh, at least I feel like I haven't done that enough. And so the last handful of years have been more of more of an effort to do to do to do that kind of work well i'm a big believer in expressing joy so i mean for me that's like a release as well as an appreciation and um i feel i I, you know i i try to balance the two and to take joy especially in little things in those things that you may not do every so often but it's that time or or, you know, you, you spend time with somebody you care about or whatever the case may be. And mm. I think that that is just as important because, I mean, we all can't be, we can't have the weight, we can't acknowledge all the time the weight on our shoulders. Sometimes we have to be to say, you know, I'm proud because I feel joy because... Even if it's something like uh, the first cup of coffee in the morning, something as simple as that. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And I just, I like, as you know, you know, you know, colonialism and, 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 you know, the, just the, the everyday life in Canada for BIPOC people is it's a grind. It is. It's it's a specific grind and it's a, it's a ruthless grind and it's, it's, it's every day. There's no break. Nope. Um, there's, there's no magic door you get to walk through and take a week off nope. uh, from it. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you have to find that joy inside your community. You have to find the joy inside of your life. And, and, 
it's it, yeah, I think we can become, I think we can become really tragic narratives, um, in our own lives. If we, if we focus too, too much on, on, on that stuff, I mean, we have to be grateful for each other and, um, and we have to, we have to find those spaces, man. We, and, and, and if we can't find them, we have to keep looking at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I find social media has been so valuable for me. Mm-hmm. That's how I met you and your team and, and so many others is like, oh, there is a space here. And the, oh, there is something valuable that I can, go, I can turn to, to learn from, to ask questions, to contribute to. Um, so it's happening. It's, you know. And, and, and by the way, I really do believe, you know, the panic that we see on the far right, the panic that we see with uh, all of the misogynists of the week that you've been able to name so far through your podcast and, <laughs> and, 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 and in so many other places, that panic is because this country is changing. Yes. The, the, yeah. Yes. That's exactly yeah. why. You know, I think so. it's it's the demographics are changing in this country. Um, the the economic underpinnings are changing in this country. Um, who we call Canadian is changing. Um, all of these things. And it is changing away from what was the status quo. Uh, where when you were white, you had you came into this world with a specific power. And that power and if you were a white male, you came in with a specific power. And so now that that's being challenged, it's no wonder that the reaction is such that it is. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I I try to, like, keep that in mind, too, that it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But now we're going to shit all over everybody else. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that sounds great. That's why I'm here. Let's Enough get... of this bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's get into it. Can we get it. into the podcast now? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I am not cutting out this discussion at all because it's just it's just so nice to like have that sort of, you know, that convo just to, just that, to be real about what yeah. the experiences are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So, speaking of Canadian, the citizenship oath is changing. And in the waning days of this parliament, Immigration Minister Ahmed Hussein introduced a bill into the House of Commons that would revamp Canada's citizenship oath so that new Canadians would make a solemn commitment to respect Indigenous and treaty rights for First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. The change comes based on a recommendation from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission more than three years ago. So the new oath would be, quote, I swear or affirm that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, her heirs and successors, and that I will faithfully observe the laws of Canada, including the Constitution, which recognizes and affirms the Aboriginal and treaty rights of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people, and fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen, unquote. Following the introduction of the bill, Minister Hussein said, quote, reconciliation is not only an Indigenous issue, it is a Canadian imperative and will take partners at all levels to advance this important journey, unquote. So, um, 
you know, when I read this new oath, I found it to be the most contradictory thing on earth. <laughs> because, yeah. because bear true allegiance to her majesty, Queen Elizabeth, and then, oh, but we recognize Aboriginal and treaty rights of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. I'm like, I'm confused. <laughs> it just yeah. seems so contradictory. Yeah, well, and, and you know, if we can harken back to maybe five years ago when uh, at the peak of Idle No More, I mean, Chief Teresa Spence's full request was that the government of Canada come to the table with Indigenous nations and the Queen. And then the government foo-fooed her and, and people said she was a lunatic. They're like, what the fuck? Is she, why is she talking about the Queen? This is and it's why. Like, mm-hmm. Yo, man, like, let's not forget until 1982, Canada was a British colony yep. <laughs> by law. By like, law, yep. S- and, and so it's, yeah, it's a confusing, it's a confusing relationship uh, on a few different levels for Indigenous people. And by the way, <laughs> like, really, I, I mean, without smoking a ton of weed, <laughs> uh, just really slow that down and think about it. We're talking about a queen. And a castle. <laughs> yes. Uh, where like a queen who ruled all the land and had subjects <laughs> yes. and a moat. Yes. And and I, she did queenly things. And there... <laughs> We saw Game of Thrones. We know what that's about. It fucks me up so bad. <laughs> I can't take it. I can't even talk about it with a straight face. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Um, because it's a. At the end of the day, if if we were bearing true allegiance to the queen, how could we recognize and affirm treaty rights of First Nations and Aboriginal Inuit and Métis people and fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen? I, I don't understand. And maybe I'm just not getting it, but I really find this whole thing very... Yeah. I, I I don't understand how you can bear allegiance to the queen, the colonizer, um, yeah. her and her successors, and recognize and affirm um, those rights of First Nations. Well, and let's look at a couple of the other words. Fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen. Well, back when... Back... When the Canadian citizen, citizenship oath began, and back in the earliest days of colonization, your duty as a Canadian citizen was to colonize. Yes, <laughs> like the the free land grant system and the Homestead Act, and 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 everything that brought this country um, into the early 1900s. It was all about settlement and 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 colonization. And so, I don't know, is that what people are? Is that what people are swearing to under this oath is like, we have to identify what the duties as a Canadian citizen even means. And so, you know, philosophically, metaphorically or otherwise, like the duty of a Canadian citizen, I I hope, is to be in good relationship with with indigenous peoples writ large. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the oath to the queen, her heirs and the successors is still a little bit of... It's a little bit of colonial fuckery if if we're being serious. It is and, colonial and it's, fuckery. It's, it's weird. It's weird. 
and I don't I don't appreciate either being you know having to bear a bear allegiance really to yeah. to a queen who basic who <laughs> whose ancestors in with law whose ancestors took all of our ancestors and enslaved them and killed them off yeah. like yeah how where is where is my duty to my identity and history yeah where is that yeah and and a, a lot of refugees and immigrants uh, and newcomers to Canada that, that are coming here to start a new life are leaving places that were colonized by Britain. And and so, like, okay, well, <laughs> they fucked you over once. Now you're going to come to this place called Canada and you're going to swear allegiance to the country and to the figurehead that is responsible for your displacement. Yes. That is, th- that is responsible for your dispossession. Thank you. And that has created the diaspora in which you have to try to survive. And by the way, when you get to Canada, we're not going to make it easy. And by the way, there are a whole bunch of uh, provincial conservative governments that are rallying to form a federal government that want to prevent you from coming into this country. So it's like it's a it's you know, it's it's complicated and it's silly, but it also has real life implications like this is. We can joke around on a podcast, but this is real. This is mm-hmm. real stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And a conservative government or a conservative, I, I guess, movement that basically wants to keep Canada white. Yeah. So yeah, like, I, I don't you're... think that this is controversial. I, I know that some people would find it, but that's the point is that they want to make Canada. They want to keep Canada white. Well, when 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 immigrant becomes a slur, yes, I mean that takes the political that that takes the political temperature of this country, mm-hmm. and and you know we see the yellow vest movement and everything else in this country using these words as slurs on their their placards and their billboards that they carry around at their little geek marches that they have. It's like um, it's pretty clear where where the where the intention is and and what the intention is, and so. You know, I, I think, I think connecting the dots here and and looking at you know, at really being being considerate and really taking the time to look at where that conversation is for new Canadians is, you know, and 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 I want to turn this. We were talking earlier about turning things into positives. I want to turn this upside down and say, this is where the solidarity movement between. Um, racialized communities and indigenous communities really can be strengthened and can really come together to again, create the communities that we want to live in. And that's where I get really excited is that I think, I think we haven't even started to scratch the surface yet. And we've got so much solidarity building to do uh, with and for each other that that's, I think, I mean, what scares Andrew Shear more than that <laughs> is diverse communities coming together to, to hold it down for each other. I mean, that's the future. That's the future I want to work towards. That's the future I feel. Like, yeah. I feel that future. Yeah, I, I, it's beautiful. I, I, no, it, it's fucking moving, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. it is so fucking moving. I'm having this experience now where so where you know i go to work and like the black girls recognize you as one of them you know yeah. what i mean and yeah. i was like i was like oh my gosh i have to i have to talk about this on the podcast it's kind of like hey it's it's like when you're kind of like in a new school and 
the people who like look like you call you over and they kind of bring you into the circle. I, that's what I feel. And I'm yeah. like, this is amazing. This is so awesome because you're not really black until other black people recognize you unless your community recognizes you as such. And I'm guessing that, you know, um, first nations and indigenous peoples is very much the same way, you know, in a, you know, in various different tribes, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, very, very similar. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Cause you're not like, you know, that's why people talk about who's invited to the cookout. Right. That whole Twitter thing. It's, it's because you are not black because of your skin tone. There's a saying, not all skin folk is kin folk. And, you know, the community itself has to invite you in. They have to make you one of theirs. And I can see the, 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 um, the outreach happening. I can see the solidarity happening because we are natural allies in this fight and absolutely and i i i can't wait until we start forming bigger pockets and movements well i look i'm erica i I, you invite me to the cookout and i'll come and we'll we'll figure this out (laughs) you're always invited to the cookout my friend always all right that sounds great all right so um Next is conservative senators, since we're talking about conservatives. I was like, great, this is perfect segue. So the Canada's House of Commons approved a bill over a year ago that would require the government to consider whether federal laws are consistent with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, UNDRIP. However, conservative senators are presently seeking to derail the approval of this bill, which, if not approved by June 21st, would cause the bill to die on the order paper and be reapproved by the, and would need to be reapproved by the House this fall following the federal election. The bill would not directly change Canadian legislation, but would require governments to consider UNDRIP as they bring in new laws and examine existing ones. It would also oblige the federal Indigenous Affairs Minister to report to Parliament annually on progress the government has made toward achieving the Declaration's objectives. Some Conservatives say they are concerned about certain prospects of UNDRIP becoming established in Canadian law, including a requirement that Indigenous peoples would have free and pri- free prior and informed consent over any projects, including resource development on their lands or territories. So um, speaking of, let me, let me take up from that last part, the free prior and informed consent over resource projects or resource development, because that's really what's sticking in their craw. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Ryan, free, prior, and informed consent over any projects. What does that mean, and why is it important? Yeah, well, I mean, really, um, free, prior, and informed consent is inferred in the Royal Proclamation, which basically produces and gives um, 
indigenous nations uh, Aboriginal title. And so they're basically saying, you know, at the bottom of the pyramid is Aboriginal title, mm-hmm. meaning Aboriginal peoples were here uh, pre-Confederation. And that Confederation, the creation of Canada, it sits on top of Aboriginal title. And so what free prior and informed consent was supposed to be was a mechanism to ensure that indigenous um, interests and livelihood um, <clears throat> and uh, and communities would not be uh, negatively impacted by any sort of you know development, and so really it was supposed to be a, a mechanism by which we could use to um, uh, support or create new opportunities uh, inside of the Canadian economy, and it never ever works. And that's because regardless of what government it is, it can be a conservative or, or a liberal uh, government, the modus operandi in Canada um, since <laughs> since the creation of this country has been build it first, uh, sort out the problem second. And um, really it, it's complicated by um, Section 35 of the Canadian Constitution which basically upholds Aboriginal and and treaty rights and it affirms um, Aboriginal title. And, you know, the burden of proof is put on Indigenous communities to prove that they use the land or the water um, or the resources for their livelihoods, for for our lives. I see. And and so, you know, if you want to put a pipeline through, um, you have to consider who lives there and, and, and what they do when they live there. And um, free prior and informed consent is supposed to be a bare minimum standard. It is not a, it is not an absolute uh, ceiling. It is, it's the floor. It's where we're supposed to start the conversation from. And it just never, ever works uh, that way in this country. So, so, question it seems to me that the conservatives don't want you to have and when i say you i mean aboriginal peoples to Mm -hmm. have any sort of power in this process yeah it is definitely not it is the power it is the fact that you would have the power to um to reject a building of a pipeline, for example, and these are, we're using a pipeline, but really what we mean is all resource projects, right? Um, And if you can shut that down, then that's just too much power. So we don't want to deal. We don't want that because they don't know what they're doing. You know, there's so much mistrust. Yeah, there's so much mistrust. And I mean, when the liberals in 2015 started using the words nation to nation, I mean, the conservatives are rolling their eyes and 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 laughing under their breath because those words, while indigenous peoples have understood them and used them for the last 150 years, they were never used by government before in any sort of legislative or or, or policy lens. It, it was always a, a paternalistic relationship. And what Trudeau campaigned on in 2015 was a change to that. And and that's sort of the first time the door was open to that possibility since the signing of treaty, mm. which is which is unbelievable. Yeah. The conservatives, however, have have never had that vision of the relationship and and to this day still don't. And so 
you know, nation to nation. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means fuck all to the conservatives because Mm -hmm. as far as they are concerned, we are Canadians. We have assimilated. The case is closed. And to do the bare minimum to get around the obligations to indigenous peoples as it relates to creating economic um, opportunity through resource extraction, the conservatives are only willing to do the bare minimum. And and those three words, I mean, just to, I, I know we're kind of, you know, really going hard on these words, but um, the, the words are this, free, prior, and informed. So they, we need to be free to make the decision. Right. So we have a say. Right. Uh, there's not, there's not an economic, uh, gun being held to our head. Right. Um, prior. So it happens prior to the project being announced publicly or before environmental assessments are, are, are done by companies or before you put a shovel in the ground and, uh, and informed. We need all the information. We mm-hmm. want copies of the environmental assessments. We want to know what your plans are. Mm-hmm. Who's going to clean up this mess? Right. What is the timeline for cleanup after you go home? Um, and so, you know, for the conservatives, they've never seen the relationship that way. There's a deep mistrust. If you look today on the federal conservative website, there is no indigenous platform. Look provincially on all of the conservative websites. There are no indigenous platforms. Jason Kenney, to his uh, to, to, to his I mean, to my shock and to his credit, started to mention Indigenous peoples um, when he won the Alberta election. And he said that he's going to partner with Indigenous peoples. And all that means is he's going to find the chiefs that are pro-oil. Um, and so, you know, this this um, and this bill, um, this this bill, uh, C-262, to bring UNDRIP into, into the House, the Conservatives have... Uh, deep skepticism about the power of indigenous nationhood. I think it scares the pants off of them. They don't see it as a vision for Canada. Um, And the liberals have started to banter and and kick that word around. I think, you know, what that word actually means is TBD. I think we're still working it out. But but those words, free, prior, and informed, are are very instructive. Um, And it's, it's really you know, putting, putting those three words into, into the foundation of the way we operate in this country would go a long ways to making this country better. It'd be a lot of progress uh, made. Um, and that's why we're seeing the conservative senators so skittish on this bill. Um, and, you know, uh, Romeo Saganash and, and his team and, and, and so many others that have stood behind the bill for so long to craft the bill, to tour around Canada, to to introduce the bill to Canadians and to talk to them about the potential of the bill. Um, you know, if if this happens, if this doesn't happen by June 21st, it's going to be a it's going to be a sad day uh, uh, for, for Canada, I believe. And tr- yeah, I totally agree. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, is it also that the conservatives also, I think the fear is two ways. Number one, it is giving indigenous people power. Um, and number two, right, power over like as in, in on a path to self-determination, I would think, because I could see this being on that path, let's say. And, yeah. and the other thing is they don't want to, um to incorporate 
you United Nations principles. I've noticed that during the um, the Yellow Vest Brigade or whatever it was that came to Ottawa in January, I noticed that there were they were against the UN Global Migration Pact, which right. which I think everybody was like, what? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. there seems to be something with these um, post World War Two institutions um it seems as though if you think about you know Stephen Harper and his relationship with the UN and you know over the past few years or even decades maybe that for some reason the right wing fears these types of resolutions and I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure why. Do you, do you have any yeah. idea? Well, to to speculate, I mean, I'm I'm going to I'm going to be a bit flippant here at first, but I'll try to give some type of analysis after. I mean, you know, I don't know that I'm going to take my political reasoning or, you know, my political analysis from a bunch of dudes that are are fight are pro oil um, and fighting for oil that jump in their big rigs and drive across Canada in a convoy uh, to stand around a fenced off under construction parliament <laughs> uh, with a hundred and fifty of their close friends to regurgitate. Uh, conservative political talking points from the United States. Fair. So, so there's like there's so little understanding, actual understanding and analysis that comes from that specific um, group of folks that I, I there's no value in it for me, and that's why you know if if these trolls start coming after me on Twitter or they come and find me on my social media anywhere, it's like. I, I can only greet you with a with a good old fashioned fuck off and get her done. Like mm-hmm. you have you have no, there's no actual conversation to be had with you because you are just regurgitating talking points from the far right in the United States. And so that analysis that that could or should happen up here is just so fraught with so many problems that like you know where do you start? Um, there's this like, and it's the Jordan Peterson types. It's the globalists that are out there. It's even worse. The Alex Jones types, the globalists that are taking over. It's like, (laughs) fuck man. I don't even know what the term globalist means. Um, apparently it means Jew. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean the, yes. And the, the fear mongering, um, I've, I've, you know, frankly, have had enough of it. And, and, you know, what, what's really too bad is that there, there is a conversation to be had about how to better support refugees and immigrants that come to this country and, and how better to strengthen our communities to, to work together, to bring, um, to bring the full potential of this country forward. Um, that we just, we get distracted by these assholes driving their fucking 18 wheelers down the main street of, of big cities in Canada to, to, to drum up some noise. And, you know, um, 
it's it for me it's a it's a big distraction and it's a it's a dog whistle and and you know I I, I don't think we should spend too much time on 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 focusing on on those types of things I we have to keep an eye on it because I think that that movement is also growing yeah um, in this country and I, that's the scary part is that it, it it is picking up steam so you know we do have to keep an eye on it um, and and. Uh, and confront it when we have to. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I do that work. I'm happy to do that work. I'm happy to confront white supremacy when I see it. Um, and some of us have to be able to do that, um, when and where we can for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, I like to me, I, I have to say the conservatives, I, I like when you say that they're talking points from the U.S. because the conservatives have really picked up a lot of their talking points from like from the states. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing to me that you have all of these um, all of these people uh, writing things like, oh, Whenever you criticize the police, for example, it's, oh, you're taking talking points from the U.S. Whenever, you know, the abortion debate that we're having up here, oh, you're taking talking points from the U.S. But we don't talk about how the right wing basically and conservatives like sitting MPs right now have been taking talking points from Fox News and Donald Trump. And they have been. Right. And and they are the ones that have injected that into Canadian political discourse, especially when it comes to immigration. And yeah. there has been like no pushback, none, not from media, not from politicians, other like opposition politicians, nobody. And yeah. I, I don't I don't. And and what I'm seeing is that. It's always the criticism is always one way, but the point is is that we are ha- in a time right now where our collective communities are changing. Our relationship to the state is changing. You know, we are demanding more because we're like, wait a minute, I'm ju- I'm every bit I belong here too. Where's my piece or where's 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 my opportunity to have a voice? Where are my opportunities that are part that are similar to um, to white Canadians? Where are those? Right. And I'm just I, I just get tired of of having to defend why a I'm speaking or B I'm speaking too loudly for people to like, you know, that's my thing. Yeah, I mean, it, whether it's the carbon tax or whether it's you know the in air quotes open border, I mean these are these are um, well tread, I think well tread talking points from from the U.S. And there is a conversation to be had about the environment here. There, there, you know, the the. There's a conversation we had about the economy of Canada and how we strengthen it. I mean, you know, there, there's there, there are conversations that I think that are that are that are partisan, um, or sorry, nonpartisan, and and but how we have those conversations are, are like wildly different. They're night and day. It's like they're not speaking the same language uh, mm-hmm. at each other, and and that's I, I find I find really really frustrating is that. Um, 
you know, they pretend not to understand each other and yeah. they have to do this dance. Um, and, and I, I just wish, I just wish that someone, whether it's the NDP or the liberals or the greens would just say like, stop your bullshit. Mm-hmm. Stop is, you know, stop the dog whistle. Stop, stop, stop with the, the misinformation, like actually present your arguments and, and the facts. And, um, but we have to do this political dance, right? We have to do this. It's politics, man. It's, you know, we have to stay, we have to stay civil and, you know, we have to create this civil discourse. At some point, you know, some, <laughs> someone's got to get a smack in the face. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not advocating <laughs> violence. I'm not saying, I'm not saying uh, we need to, to, to get to that level, but that's how it feels to me. That's, that's definitely, um, that's definitely how it feels to me. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, screw the conservatives and their Fox News bullshit. So, so our so I saw this in the news and I thought, good. And then I remembered, damn it, it's Canada. And here's what I'm talking about: the family of Colton Bushi, the 22-year-old Cree man fatally shot by white farmer Gerald Stanley in rural Saskatchewan in 2016, wants an inquiry. Okay, the reasons why are made clear in a new documentary by Tasha Hubbard. I am, Ryan, I am not good at names. It's like a thing with me. Uh (laughs) So I'm going to try and pronounce this. Feel free to correct me, okay? Okay. Nipawistamanasoan. Nipa? Nipa? Wistamasoan. Wistamasoan. Yeah. Nipa Wistamasoan. Yeah. We I will mean, stand cre- up. Cree people are going to be mad at me for the way I pronounce it. So, the you know, it's uh, <laughs> that's our best attempt. <laughs> I'm telling you, it would take me like, yeah. I apologize, everybody. I do. Yeah. I, I'm right. not, I'm not meant, I don't mean to disrespect. Okay. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. In the documentary, Mr. Bushi's mother, Debbie Baptiste, reiterates how RCMP officers who came to announce her son's death asked if she was drunk before searching her home as if she were a suspect, not a victim. The audience is reminded that officers left the car Mr. Bushi died in uncovered in the rain with the door open, allowing potential evidence to wash away. Now, I have to say, I'm going to I'm going to just inject this here. I think that the investigation needs to start with the RCMP, to be honest. But that's me. Yeah. And I remember Um, hearing I remember reading that part and that would that part hurt my heart. It really did. Okay, but over the past 30 years alone, such inquiries have produced thousands of pages of reports, the later ones noting the ones that came before. Some of their recommendations might have saved Mr. Bushi's life or at least ensured public confidence in Mr. Stanley's trial, if not for Canada's bad habit of studying the problem instead of actually solving it. Now, this is something I've said about Canada for a long time. We love to study shit, but we don't like action because that means we're committed to something, like an outcome. Yeah. Anyway, so instead, in the movie, 
Ms. Hubbard traces today's attitudes back to the late 1800s when indigenous leaders were jailed or executed and their communities were forcibly moved to reserves, forbidden from leaving without a government pass. That's when the criminalization of indigenous movement in the prairies began. So I have a handy list of inquiries here. Um, it only stretches back to 89, though. Right. So I, I, I know I'm missing a lot. So in 1989, Nova Scotia's Marshall Commission considered the wrongful murder conviction of Donald Marshall, Marshall Jr., a Mi'kmaq teenager imprisoned for 11 years. The jurors were all white, as appeared to be the case in Mr. Stanley's trial. Both the Marshall Commission and the 1996 Justice Report by the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People criticized such racially skewed juries. In 1999, the Aboriginal Justice Inquiry of Manitoba went further, recommending that peremptory challenges sorry, must be eliminated. The RCAP advised system-wide anti-racism education for police officers, as did the 2010 Opal Commission in British Columbia, which found that the investigation into serial killer Robert Picton was hindered by police bias towards his poor female and often indigenous victims. And I will add my little piece, which is that's why he chose those victims. Because everybody coming into this country Everybody growing up in this country knows that police, the state, the country of Canada does not respect or even acknowledge the humanity of Indigenous peoples. And the 1995 Ipperwash Beach standoff where Ojibwe man Dudley George was shot and killed by the OPP. And of course, another investigation out of Thunder Bay noted that systemic racism is rife in that city's force. And that's just the police. I'm not even talking about child welfare, health care, all of these other things that we take for granted. And how that, when we talk about systemic racism, we are talking about a system which rewards those who perpetrate racism, which a system which perpetrates racism itself and where the outcomes are disproportionately skewed out of favor for those racialized individuals. Yeah. yeah. So there. Well, uh, you know, you, you were reading the list of inquiries and uh, yeah, I just... It's so weird to hear the list because it made me realize how familiar I was with each and every one of those cases. Like I'm intricate, like I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with all of them. And I would have, if sitting here thinking about it before I may have said, well, yeah, I kind of know about them, but no, I know about these. (laughs) Like I know. And, and what's why I'm saying that is because it, it kind of like, this is again this is like this is the reality for indigenous peoples is you know you know about Donald Marshall Jr's case you know about um Picton uh Dudley George I mean 
Neil Stonechild is another one that comes to mind. There, there, there are so many cases that 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 you just you know about, and they just kind of linger in the back of your mind. You, you don't get a break from them. Yeah. And and of course, um, as you've you've indicated, you know, we get we get real good at at being being familiar with the lists of what happened, but we're not so good at implementing the change and. Um, you know, we're going to see that tomorrow with the National Inquiry, you know, the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. We're going to see tomorrow, we're going to make a big list and there's going to be a couple hundred recommendations and um, we're good at making lists in Canada. Yeah. I, I don't know that we're good at at getting to the getting to the part where we need to change our communities and the way we do things. Yeah, we're not good at that. We don't do that. Yeah, it seems seems not, no. And so I, this is the thing that's been in the back of my mind of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission recommendations. There are some recommendations that have been, that have been acted on, um, but it seems to me like they are the easy stuff. And when I say the easy stuff, I mean commemorating a day, for example, um, yeah. in September. Uh, I can't remember the date. Um uh you know different different things like that that are oh yes everybody can agree oh yes let's do this oh yes and what i find is we think we've done something that right. we think that any action is action is the appropriate action right and that's my problem and this is why i hated the idea of just commemor- just that that one part of it we have not even looked into how we're going to systemically change our police our government administrations our provincial governments our municipal governments the way we treat for example I, i was thinking about the ottawa flood and i heard from every every Ottawa got no person, you know, white person alive whose whose families stretched a hundred years and blah 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 and how sad it is. And yes, it was sad, but were there any reserves that were affected? Right, right. And how did? Why didn't I hear from them? Yeah. Why? I like again. Why are we so content with doing? the bare minimum and then patting ourselves on the back and then saying we did something that irritates me too. Yes. You know, September 30th, everyone puts on their orange shirt and, you know, commemorates this, this, this day by honoring this woman named Phyllis. Um, and, you know, the orange shirt day goes to our kids' school and, you know, um, and then the kids talk about residential schools. Like, it, like that work has to start somewhere, okay? Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's all fine. We find that that, that, that kind of trickle down is, is, is that's, 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 we have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, by, by making the making these big shows out of <laughs> very little action, you know, we've, we've become very accustomed to in this country. Um, and it's a, it's a horse and pony show, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, 
Let's drag out a few chiefs in their headdresses, sit them behind the prime minister. Um, you know, they just uh, this just happened um, uh, the last uh, week or so over in Poundmaker, Saskatchewan, where they exonerate uh, Chief Poundmaker right. uh, for his resistance against the Canadian government. And, you know, right. you've got all the... You got this young boy, group of boys singing on a drum, uh, bringing in a grand entry for the prime minister to walk in with the chiefs. And, and you know, the truth is, is that Poundmaker lost, lost tons of their traditional territory in what has now become Saskatoon and, and just north of Regina. Like that was their, that was their, their territory. Nothing's bringing back their land. Nothing's bringing back the buffalo. Nothing's actually addressing the 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 the, the loss. You know the systemic uh, and very targeted way that that these people lost everything. But but you know we can say sorry. And I think what we have to look at is what what comes after sorry. You know what what comes after sorry is is usually action. You know if I do something to you, Erica, and I I have to apologize. Well, you might accept the apology, but you would expect some change. You would expect some action. That's right. And, and you know, it's been a couple hundred years. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. What, I mean, everyone, indigenous people, I can tell you, <laughs> sitting around going, oh, great, another apology. And, and what's, what's tough and what's really, really troubling is that so many, so many non-indigenous people are just learning about these things for the first time and so the apology is enough for them right where it's like oh shit like i didn't know about electric chairs being used in residential schools i never heard of that that's horrifying um i didn't know about food experiments in residential schools where they would starve kids and test out supplements on them i never heard about that that's horrifying and then they'll see you know a headline or or the news cycle will will cycle out these stories and then they got those stories go away and that's that's the extent of our knowledge that's that's where those stories die is with the news cycle and and there's very little change on the ground and any of any listeners that that listen to this podcast and and don't know that should um there's very little change on the ground yeah yeah and the fact is is that i think people are actually waking up to the fact that you know canada you know is a had its own part in genocide i mean that's what the that's what the report will say tomorrow and, you know, how do we collectively um, absorb that in, in a way that is constructive to everybody talks about the children? Well, how do we absorb? What do we change? What do we do to be able to make this a better place for kids and grandkids, no matter who you are? And I know that that is, uh, now I feel like I'm sounding a bit Pollyanna, but it is my hope because the future is unwritten. That's yeah. the power is the future still has to be, has to be lived. Yeah, well, and, and, and by the way, I mean, we focus so much on, on these issues um, by looking back Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't look forward, we also lose the fact that residential school survivors are still alive. Yes, by the tens of thousands, and and what are we doing to support them now? Like, what what are we doing to work with them and make space for them? And and what what are we doing to to ensure or or find a way to to lighten the load for them now? 
you know, what, what kind of what kind of specific uh, services or specific ways can we address the the intergenerational impacts on them? They they this is their actual lives. This is the, they wake up with the weight of this impact on them each and every day, and. And so it, we think about these sad pictures of kids and these black and white photos and these horrendous conditions with bad haircuts and, and all dressed the same, mm-hmm. but those people are alive. Yeah. Those people are alive. And, you know, what, what we see um, 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 playing out in, a, in our community so often um, is that, you know, the, 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 the intergenerational impacts of the colonial history is, is, is felt by indigenous peoples in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And it's felt by non-indigenous people in another way. And so how did we see Colton Bushy's murder play out in Saskatchewan? Mm-hmm. What was the, what was the conversation around uh, Gerald Stanley killing Colton? It was like, well, you know, Colton was, uh, was trespassing and see here in Saskatchewan, there's a major problem with trespassing and native people coming on to white owned farms and uh, stealing. And so, you know, there's this like, there's this like bad person out there in the minds of white people that are coming to steal their shit. And mm-hmm. that's why Gerald Stanley felt so free to kill Colton was because, you know, he thought he was coming to steal his shit. And like, we've all been ripped off by colonization. And the racism and the assumptions and the stereotypes that it, uh, that these kind of people, people like Gerald Stanley, uh, hold, um, that's an effect of colonization. And and so you know the decolonization project in Canada is one that is for everybody, and and it's one that everyone can and should participate in, and we have to measure ourselves against the colonial project to see how have I been impacted by this? What is the bullshit I carry each and every day that I need to unload, that I need to get rid of, that I need to better understand. And, um, and that's the work. That's, that's the real work. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be the politicians that change this country. It's not a national chief. Um, it's not a tribe called red or Tanya Tagak or Ryan McMahon. It's all of us. It's the people it's, it's us coming together to have these conversations and and um we've all been fucked by colonization in this country and anywhere colonization can be found um whether whether you're indigenous or non uh we've all been negatively impacted by it so what does decolonization look like to you well i don't think it looks like anything i mean i for me i i mean it's a buzzword that can sort of point towards the fact that you know, we need to undo harm. Yeah. And so for me, yeah, it's, it's the, un, it's the, it's definitely the undoing of the harm that has been caused over the last couple hundred of uh, years in Canada. But, but for me, it's, for me, I get more excited about the conversation around indigenous liberation. And right. so the, the liberation of indigenous peoples to live free and unencumbered lives in their, in their homelands, um, for me is the project. And so it's a little bit hippy dippy and I don't know if we have three hours for me to present this to you, but, but I really do feel like the nation to nation vision of this country, the original vision for this country is the most beautiful one there is. Um, and that's not anti-Canadian and that's, that's, uh, not pro, uh, Ojibwe. It's, I want to be who I was supposed to be. Um, and I want my, that for my children. I want that for my, my grandchildren and, 
and any other relatives um, that that are to come uh, in the future. And and you know that means we live and act and uh, as indigenous uh, governments and as indigenous nations with um, with partners and neighbors uh, from this place that we call Canada. And, I. Uh, I got yeah. chills when you were just talking about that and like tears started welling up and I'm like, maybe it's the Benadryl I'm on. I don't know. But when you said the ability to be free in your own land, I just, yeah. it just like, it just hit me because it's true. Like none of us is free and, and you know, the i've i've been paying attention to a lot to spaces lately the spaces you're allowed into the spaces you're expected to be in the spaces that you're not expected to be in the spaces that are that are that are systemically or sorry or systematically uh you're excluded from and the idea that as people that are native to this land you are excluded from a lot of the spaces in this land. That's yeah. a fucking slap in the face. And you are being policed as inhabitants of the land instead of owners of the land. Yeah. Or and and not owners in an economic sense, not in a in a, you know, banking or buying or selling sense. I'm talking about stewards of your land, right? And yeah. when I think about black people, I'm going to just make this segue, this um, connection here. When you were talking about, about that, what I thought of is black hair and right. about how we are policed for growing hair that's natural to come out of our heads. Mm. Our natural mm. hair, our natural way of being is policed hmm. and 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 you know and in terms of what it means to be free is um is something that i think we need to talk about too what freedom really is yeah so yeah i'm just well, i'm just saying I, i'm i'm moved right now <laughs> well and 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 but but it, it, not just like uh dreaming of that Mm -hmm. uh, ex expecting that. Yes. You know, um, of us shifting that. You remember earlier you were talking about the conversations that mm -hmm. we have in our head and those conversations become to be who we are or, or, or they shape who we are. And the expectation of our own freedom, I am curious if we preach that, if, if that's something that we absorb in our soul how that will change who we are and how we how we interact with the space the environment around us i guess is what i'm saying yeah i mean That's you know well and I, you know for for me the, if if i had to use a couple of key words or ideas on how to live that to to have that a lived reality i'm i'm talking about living through my language, um, Anishina Bemwin, yeah. um, and being able to live and think uh, through that uh, language specifically. 
um, because I just I know life is so different when you when you speak that language. It's it's a verb based language. It's action based. It's it's active. It's generative. It's it comes from a place of love and caring um, for all things around you. It's just it's such a different reality. Um, if, if I were to live through the language and by the way, how about, how about all Canadians having access to indigenous languages and being able to speak those languages and for, for all of those languages to have effect on things like legislation and policy that make this country a little bit better, uh, through indigenous worldviews and otherwise, I mean, I mean, this country has the potential to be something really, really fantastic and really, really powerful and grounded in, in mutual respect and, and, and aid. And it could be a good and just country for all. Um, but it, it, it's, it's a colonial fiction that that's who we are now. And it's a colonial fiction that we're going to get there with that wholesale systemic change. And, and you know, the settler myth that, um, that this country is some great utopia of, of, uh, uh, of, of understanding and peace is just... Uh, it's just not the truth. And so, you know, wanting that and expecting that kind of liberation in, in our lifetime, for me, is the project. And, and that should not scare Canadians. That should, in, that should encourage Canadians. And that should, that should excite Canadians. I mean, if we're not troubled by the, the European Union in terms of, you know, what, what the geographic um, uh, relation is with all of those countries. I mean, being side by side, having different languages, uh, slightly different laws, different foods, different cultures, different customs, different worldviews, different religions. If we don't have a problem with the EU, why would we have a problem with that same kind of diversity being found here on can in Canadian borders? I mean, you have that exact same diversity. You have all these languages, all these indigenous nations, different worldviews, slightly different laws, different ways of understanding, knowing and being. I mean, this could be the most exciting place on the planet, but we don't see ourselves as that. And in fact, to go back to the earlier conversation we were having about the conservatives, they reject that, that vision outright. And to me, uh, when I think about indigenous liberation and nationhood, that's where my thought goes is, is that kind of diversity and the excitement that is sitting right in front of us. I, I'm glad that you broke that down. Um, I think that we use a lot of buzzwords when we call for decolon <laughs> decolonization. And I just, I just wanted, um, I guess, Pete listeners to just imagine what, is at the core of this, which is freedom and what that really is and actually parsing that through because we, we say a lot of words, we say a lot of things, we say what's good. I know progressives are really good at this. And if you, um, but if you break down the understanding and actually if we start from the same place, then we can understand layers on top of that. Well, let's let's let me complicate it, or let me even let, let me dig a bit deeper. Let's then, do it. Then, then how do we how do we build these new realities, these new communities, and these new futures? Is by by bringing people into our communities, our territories, and so you know, I I know non Indigenous people um, generally you know, are threatened by the I, I, the the idea or the version of Indigenous liberation that I walk with, but but. 
Um, no one has to leave. No one has to go home. You know, everyone can stay. Uh, but building a new relationship and a new reality with, with those indigenous nations would be the project. And, you know, if you're not an asshole, you'll be welcome in. If you're an asshole, you can fuck off. It's yeah. not that simple. So, you know, the, the relation, it goes, it, it really boils down to relationships and relationality and reciprocity. What, how are we going to work together uh, forever, always? And for too long, Canada has existed on, I'm going to put a fence around my yard. I'm going to uh, create this private property system that that means that if you come onto my property, I can fucking shoot you and kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to create a system where I, if I work hard, I'm a get mine and I don't give mm-hmm. a fuck whether you get yours. Yeah. That shit doesn't work. Nope. We've, we've seen the industrial revolution fail. We've seen countries fall apart at the hands of capitalism. That shit don't work. And if we want to try something different, we can. And, um, I mean, we might run out of time. Who fucking knows what's going to happen with this environment? Who knows what's going to happen in the next 15 or 20 years if we don't change our ways? But the possibility of something greater was always the promise of this country. It was the promise that was made at the signing of treaty. It was the promise that was made when when indigenous people first started welcoming uh, newcomers into this land four or 500 years ago. It was the promise that was always right in front of us. Something better is possible. And uh, we have to do the work of imagining it and building it. And I, I think, I think if we do, we'll be okay. Okay, we're back. And uh, instead of doing rant and receipts this week, we're going to talk about the upcoming, actually, the report on uh, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. This is today is Sunday, June 2nd. It comes out tomorrow, officially Monday, June 3rd. And this is what I'm sure we'll all be talking about this week. So Ryan, can you give us um, context or, or things that we should pay attention to when we start reading these recommendations? Yeah. Um, well, the one thing I would ask is when we talk about missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and two-spirit people that, that we get good at naming specific things. And so I often hear people use words like vulnerable or at risk or high risk. And it's really important to name the things that they're vulnerable or at risk or in high risk relationships too. And that namely is Canada, its systems, colonization, Racism, capitalism, patriarchy, forced assimilation, <laughs> failed policies, poverty, um, misogyny, uh, feminism that excludes people of color, indigenous people. Uh, and, and Yeah, because that's all just white supremacy. Yeah. By a different name. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just I just really want to point to that because I think I think this inquiry will name a bunch of things and it will give a bunch of recommendations and all of that is really important. But I think also too, it's important to remember that families of loved ones have been calling for more awareness for over 30 years. And, um, in communities like Vancouver's downtown East side, you know, they've been holding memorial marches in their community for over 30 years. And, and so while people are, 
probably new to this conversation. Indigenous people have been leading this conversation for decades. And people should also know that things have gotten so bad in so many cities and towns across Canada that you had ad hoc community groups like the Bear Clan or ad hoc community groups like one in Winnipeg called Drag the Red, where people literally brought their boats out to the Red River to drag the bottom of the river to find dead loved ones because the police weren't oh doing it. Oh my God. You know, so, oh my God. so, so this is the kind of stuff that has happened in Canada. Um, and this is the kind of movement that indigenous people have been leading to try to come up, you know, with the solution to, to, to what is, uh, a, an absolute nightmare and national shame. And, you know, they started counting in 1980, they started counting missing people. Um, and so since 1980, the estimated number has reached over 4,000. Um, wow. I th- and that's, we're talking about indigenous women and girls. We're not even talking about men. Um, right. And, and that's since 1980. And, you know, the RCMP has, um, not handed over close to 70% of the documents requested by the national inquiry. And so what, yeah, the national, wait, what the RCMP withheld, close to 70% of the documents requested by the National Inquiry, just citing that it's too expensive to go into archives and dig these up. I mean, if you've ever filed an um, um, an F-tip, I mean, it's tens of thousands of dollars for a couple of documents from 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 institutions and organizations in this country. It's, it's and, and the inquiry went to court with the RCMP to try to access these documents and, and were unsuccessful. And so even the inquiry as it stands will be will be incomplete because they didn't have access to the documents they needed to give the full picture this also happened with the uh, truth and reconciliation commission um it's part of the reason why the national inquiry was asking for a two-year extension which was not granted i to heard them. yes carolyn bennett uh minister of crown indigenous affairs rejected their request yeah and basically t- gave them six months and wrap it up because, of course, it has to coincide with an election. That's right. Anyway. And and so... I, I have... Yeah. Yeah. And so partisan yeah. politics, I mean, uh, rules the day. And, and you know, the, the, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, we're going to see... We're going to see the number 70%. Um, 70% of murdered Indigenous women were killed by Indigenous men. And as an indigenous man, um, I want to um, uh, address that and acknowledge that number and and say that um, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we have a lot of work to do in indigenous communities to to overcome the issue of violence against indigenous women, girls and two spirit people. Um, we have a lot of work to do when it comes to better supporting um uh, victims of of violence, uh, physical violence, sexual violence, emotional violence, um, and we have a long ways to go to repairing all of the the harms that are caused by that violence. And so, um, you know, some people will reject that number and say, "Well, yeah, I mean, if you go to a Chinese community, you know, th- that high percentage of, of of violence committed by that community's men will be." the same uh in all communities so chinese men kill chinese women 
black men kill black women. I mean, indigenous men kill indigenous women. That's what that number is actually about. But I don't want to terse that number and I don't want to get into rejecting that number and saying, well, you know, we got to really use a clearer lens when we're going to talk about who's killing who. It's fucking bullshit. The, the truth is, mm-hmm. is, is men uh, writ large and indigenous men are the perpetrators of this violence and it has to fucking stop. And if this inquiry doesn't make indigenous men and other men take to the streets to try to do better then I don't know what will because there is nothing that I can think of that is, is more devastating in front of me today than the reality that there are thousands of missing or murdered indigenous women, girls and two spirit people out there that, um, it just, I can't, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. It is absolutely devastating. And, um, you know, it's it's different for me looking in. I can only imagine how within the community this these conversations are happening. And that kind of, of like I say, of devastation and how that's sort of relayed between members and, and amongst the community members too. And so I'm... I'll, I'm going to say that uh, a lot that a lot of what I've seen is um, so far has to do with uh, the inquiry calling this a genocide. Yeah. And that um, while the Canadian genocide targets all Indigenous peoples, Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit, lesbian, gay bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and asexual people are particularly targeted. Yeah. And um I mean we're going to we're gonna talk about the uh the um inquiry in one of our subsequent um podcasts. Is there are is there any advice in terms of the way we, who are not, you know, members of indigenous communities, but who I, you know, who are allies, that we should talk about this, that we should think about this. Um, do you have any instructions for that? Well, I, I just think like um, the, the best thing we can do is is remember that these are people. And when Mm -hmm. we're talking about these statistics, that these are people and whether these young women were sex workers or doctors or housewives or students um, or children, uh, it doesn't matter. These were these were people. And and I think that, you know, at our best, um, we have to we have to honor these people. We have to honor them in the way we talk about them. And of course, it's complicated. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, just even the way I feel about the use of the term genocide here, it, again, it, it becomes a distraction away from the actual thing. Like, okay, well, we're going to have a debate over genocide or the use of the word. That's what I feel is happening. And I, I just, that's what's happening. And it's, it's, it's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, Cause we're not talking about the actual issue. Because that's what I see. 
Exactly. And so, oh, well, is it a genocide? Isn't it a genocide? Da, 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 da. That's not the fucking point. Like, I know what the inquiry is trying to tell us is that this is fucking important, people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I, 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 the best advice I can give people that want to talk about the inquiry on a podcast or with their friends or anything else is to be brave and to be gentle with each other. Um, we okay. need people to to take a stand. Uh, we need allies more than ever right now. Uh, mm-hmm. we need, we need people that are, are willing to, to pray, uh, for families. We need people that are willing to be angry and to talk about these things, uh, publicly. Mm-hmm. And, and we need people to, if able, you know, to affect change. And, and there's, there's, we need, we need, we need people with strong hearts doing, doing the work. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I, 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 I think that if it, if you feel nervous talking about it, that's okay. Um, if you miss make a mistake talking about it, that's okay. At least you're talking about it. And that's why we have to be gentle, uh, with each other here. I mean, mm-hmm. we are, this is unprecedented. What we are going to see roll out over the next handful of weeks because of the findings of the inquiry is completely unprecedented. Um, but we can't pretend it's not happening and we can't shy away from it. All right. So thank you, Ryan, for, you know, spending time with us. And so catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash bad and be podcast, Twitter at bad and bitchy, Instagram at bad and bitchy pod, email bad and be pod at gmail.com, Patreon, please contribute to our Patreon patreon.com slash bad and bitchy we got merch redbubble.com slash people slash bad and bitchy um and we look forward to seeing you tonight for our live show which starts at 8 30 well doors open at 8 30 it starts at 9 and if you don't have a ticket yet we have pinned the event bright link to our facebook page So you can find it there. We look forward to seeing you all tonight. And thank you, Ryan. And of course, your bye has to... I loved your your Becky, Tammy bye last time. All right. (laughs) All right. One, two, three. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye, Becky. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Tamara. (laughs) Bye, Jessica. I hope are people on your team any of those names? I hope not. That'd be I'd be in trouble. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> My bitch is bad and bullshit.